I was at a church a few years ago where we had a service once a month that met at a, a sort of mental care facility, memory care, but also people who had some mental health concerns as well. And so we had this monthly service there. And uh, the minister who led it, uh, she said, I noticed there wasn't a confession in the prayer. It was a communion service, and there was no confession in it. And she explained to me when I asked, uh, these people are so troubled uh, that we have to be careful about that kind of language, um, the sort of confessional language, and along with that also the absolution, which I found actually, frankly, problematic. Um, uh, that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you are in life, uh, no matter how far gone you are mentally, uh, it's still the need of confession and on the flip side of that, absolution uh, for your, for, of your sins. And I've frankly seen uh, this type of thing elsewhere, uh, just in ordinary church, not even in a situation like that in this type of institution, but just in ordinary everyday church, avoiding sort of confessional language. In seminary, there was a lot of talk about removing, when I was in seminary, there was a lot of talk about removing confession and therefore absolution during Easter season because Easter is more uplifting. It's too much of a downer to get confessional. For several weeks, can we stop with the the groveling uh, sort of language? And any talk of God's wrath, for that matter, uh, uh, sort of things like a prayer of humble access. You know, uh, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. I've gotten a lot of flack for that uh, in, in, uh, in some places. Not here. The, the people at the Advent tend to love that stuff. But elsewhere, I've had people give me flack for, for loving the prayer of humble access. I find it to be a prayer uh, not only of uh, sort of uh, humility, but also of, of great comfort and mercy. Um, but any sort of talk like this uh, often gets uh, sort of the raised eyebrow. If you talk about your inher- our inherent sinfulness as uh, Jesus being the exclusive way uh, to truth and life, uh, a conviction that something like the devil exists, and a belief in things like God's supernatural power, that he performs miracles. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, non-believers here. I'm talking about those who claim to have a Christian worldview have given me trouble and I've overheard them talk to folks like you uh, on the street or even within the context of church uh, not understanding and thinking that that's sort of old school. That's uh, too sort of old world kind of thinking. It sounds medieval. And uh, in my time, I've been uh, called by uh, other Christians pessimistic a fundamentalist, evangelist, in a, uh, ev- evangelical in a way that is a sort of uh, with a little bit of a, a knife's edge to it, not in a positive way. I've been called narrow-minded uh, by, by talking about these subjects by other Christians. Uh, and I shouldn't be surprised because as Paul explains to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was awaiting his execution in prison in Rome. And Timothy was his closest protege and also the pastor, perhaps bishop of the church in Ephesus. 
And Timothy was also young, uh, and he lacked confidence in his authority. And this is Paul's parting shot to Timothy, uh, and the church for that matter. Uh, he's probably not just writing to Timothy, but also for the congregation there. And here we've been reading it for two millennia. This is his parting shot to Timothy and the, and the church before his inevitable death. That people are going to get the message wrong. And not only that, worse yet, they will actively resist the message, both inside and out of the church. Uh, and most troublesome coming from within the church. Well, what is this message? I'm not just talking about the confessional kind of language that sounds pessimistic to people. I'm talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. As Paul explains in 2 Timothy and elsewhere, this is the message that is the promise of life. The message of the gospel is a gift of freedom, rest, forgiveness, and reconciliation for sinners the ungodly, as he says in Romans. That is the message. Uh, And you're hard-pressed to find this message preached anymore. I'm convinced of that. I mean, I've gone to so many churches. uh, Church shopping and then uh, uncommitted, uh, in seminary, kind of wandering around to see what's out there. Uh, And also, just even here while I'm working with you, going to things like conferences and conventions. I find that it's you're hard-pressed. Or just listen to the recordings of sermons online. Look at the signs outside of churches. You know, what do they call them? The marquees, where people put the silly sayings? Those are all evidence to me that you're hard-pressed to find this message, this good news, preached even in the church. What you'll get often instead is a sort of jumbled-up message of uh, morality, spirituality, and, ex- and intellectual improvement programs. Now, those things are all fine on their own. Don't get me wrong. Like, morality is fine. S- uh, spiritual d- disciplines are fine. Uh, gaining knowledge is fine, but that is not the gospel. Uh, and too often, it's been jumbled up and called and packaged as the good news when it, when it is not. And many who claim to have a Christian worldview actively oppose this unchanging promise of life found in Jesus Christ. And it's been like that ever since Paul wrote this letter nearly 2,000 years ago. Plus, talk about a time when uh, we have itching ears for other messages right now. (laughs) You know, 2016, with all this social media and electronic communications, we're saturated with so much information the uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones from here in Birmingham just came out with an album with a perfect title for what we're in is A Sea of Noise. A Sea of Noise is the name of their latest album. I mean, is that not our life? It's so distracting now. I mean, these uh, do I even have it on me? The, these uh, silly devices, you know, this thing. Our itching ears, our itching eyes are looking for something else. And it's so easy to find either there or on our computers or on our tablets Even when you're pumping the gas now, uh, there are these screens that put on commercials. You're just inundated with with other uh, messages. It's only here for like 15 minutes on a Sunday that you hear some good news. Hopefully, hopefully. There are also those from other worldviews, not uh, just from Christianity, but other worldviews who oppose this message. Uh, Last week, I was... I was reading online, 
I saw this uh, article from the Christian Post about uh, ISIS uh, killing more Christians in the Middle East, in Syria. I mean, this happened just in August, uh, a month and a half ago, and now uh, just come to light and reported. Hear the story. I'm going to read uh, some, uh, some bits from this news article from the Christian Post to you. The Islamic State militants in Syria heinously tortured and killed a 12-year-old boy, along with 11 indigenous Christian missionaries, after they refused to leave their homeland and renounce Christ. In one village, militants began questioning the ministry workers, the son and the team leader, who had helped establish nine house churches in the area. After the Christians refused to renounce Christ and explain to the militants that God wanted them to stay in the area to share the gospel, the four of them were tortured and crucified in front of a crowd. All were badly brutalized and then crucified, the ministry leader who had trained all of the workers for the evangelistic ministry said. They were left on their crosses for two days. No one was allowed to remove them. In front of the team leader and relatives in the crowd, the Islamic militants cut off the fingertips of the boy and severely beat him, telling his father they would stop the torture if he, the father, returned to Islam. The Christian Aid Mission report states, When the team leader refused, relatives said the ISIS militants also tortured and beat him and the two other ministry workers. The three men and the boy then met their deaths in crucifixion. And that's not all. In another town, the eight other missionaries who were questioned in another village were beheaded after they refused to convert to Islam. Villagers said some were praying in the name of Jesus. Others said some were praying the Lord's Prayer. And others said some of them lifted their heads to commend their spirits to Jesus. The ministry director explained, one of the women looked up and seemed to almost be smiling as she said, Jesus. They kept on praying loudly and sharing Jesus until their last breath, the director said. They did this in front of the villagers as their testimony for others. Friends, I don't know what to say about this. I'm sort of reduced when I read this kind of thing once again. It seems every several months to, to just saying, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy that something like this is happening right now to fellow members of the body of Christ uh, elsewhere. Uh, we don't experience it here. We're blessed to not experience that here in the United States, but our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing it th- right now elsewhere in the world. And look, if you believe this message, especially if you teach it, you will face resistance. It might not look like this. It might look more mundane. But if you teach a message of the good news of Jesus Christ, his mercy for ungodly sinners, you will face resistance. And Paul understood this acutely as he faced his execution, his own execution in Rome, because he was preaching this message. And so have so many martyrs since who have faced persecution and faced it as these folks did with hope on their deathbeds, about to die, knowing it and still praying as a, as a prayer and testament and also witness to those in the crowd. Maybe you feel uh, hopeless with all that's going on in the world. You know, news like this of what's happening in the Middle East, news like this of things that are happening in places like Russia, 
uh, North Korea, or even here domestically with our presidential election. Maybe uh, you feel hopeless about those things, but I'm convinced that you probably feel hopeless in your own life uh, due to some other trying things that are happening in your personal life. Well, with all this in mind, there's a, there's a story about Martin Luther that uh, I've just heard people tell and have read. I've never read the, the actual source, so it might be apocryphal, but it's a good story. That someone m- once asked Martin Luther, if you knew that the world were ending tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree. I'd plant a tree. Basically, what he was saying is I would go on with my life. I would go on carrying on to what I'm doing. You know, just as I planted a tree yesterday, I will plant one tomorrow. I will, I will also keep being a minister. I'll keep being a husband. I'll go on with my life even though what is happening around me appears so hopeless. And I've heard other people say, you've probably heard this cliche, how can, you know, young, younger folks in their 20s or 30s might say, I don't want to bring a child into this messed up world. I don't want to have children because the world is so messed up. But that's a pack of lies for Christians. That's a pack of lies. Just like Martin Luther, who wants to plant a tree, the Christians should say, despite the messed up stuff that's happening in this world, I'm going to have kids. uh, Because my hope lies somewhere else. You know, have kids in the refugee camp. Have kids during an election year, for that matter, when you're afraid of what the outcome might be. Have kids in Syria. Or maybe you're not of childbearing age. Plant your tree, whatever that looks like, you know, because your hope is in Jesus Christ. And furthermore, I've uh, heard some people joking about moving to Canada or perhaps staging a revolution on uh, November 9th, depending on what the outcome is of the election, one side or the other. If you're a Christian, you are a resident alien in this country. You are a resident of another kingdom that is ultimate and eternal. And you have a president. You have a king who is someone else. It's not Hillary Clinton. It's not Donald Trump or one of the third-party candidates. No matter how it turns out, don't move to Canada. (laughs) Don't stage a revolution. Plant your tree and keep uh, uh, sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ in your everyday mundane life. And so place your bets on this instead, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you live in a mental health care facility, memory uh, care facility, or an Ivy League educated academic, or maybe a middle class American living in middle America, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. You have the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. You are wise, not because of any human teaching, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Do not turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into competing mess in this sea of noise. Rather, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. There is laid up for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you. Amen.